For many, she was the only queen they had ever known. Britain's longest reigning monarch, she lived through wars, terrorist attacks, pandemics, and family loss. Outliving rulers and leaders, she has left many, including her son, now the king, in grief. And to my darling mama, as you begin your last great journey to join my dear late papa, I want simply to say this, thank you. And while her life was focused on public service, she did that with a great devotion to her faith in Jesus. From the beginning of her reign, she professed a deep belief in prayer. When I spoke to you last at Christmas, I asked you all, whatever your religion, to pray for me on the day of my coronation to pray that God would give me wisdom and strength to carry out the promises that I should then be making. The church playing a pivotal role in her life and death. Defender of the faith, one of the many titles she held as monarch, as well as being the supreme governor of the Church of England. Queen Elizabeth II used her annual Christmas message to share a message of faith and hope from her first televised Christmas address. I would like to read you a few lines from Pilgrim's Progress. To her last. It is this simplicity of the Christmas story that makes it so universally appealing. Simple happenings that form the starting point of the life of Jesus, a man whose teachings have been handed down from generation to generation and have been the bedrock of my faith. And as the world says goodbye to the queen of a generation, many wonder if her legacy of faith will continue. Today on Context, the queen, defender of the faith. Welcome to Context, I'm Maggie John. Queen Elizabeth II is being remembered for her many attributes from her stalwart strength, her quiet resolve, her wit, and her sense of humor. But for some, it will be her strong faith in Jesus that will be a formidable part of her legacy. Dudley Delfs joins me to discuss the faith of the late monarch. He is the author of The Faith of Queen Elizabeth, The Poise, Grace, and Quiet Strength Behind the Crown. Dudley, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Maggie. Tell me about the que about Queen Elizabeth's faith. Well, I think it's a remarkable faith because it sustained her for her entire life, but especially, of course, those 70 plus years as the, the sovereign, um, a formidable job by anyone's definition. And I think that personal faith kept her grounded, kept her humble, and kept her in touch with a bond to the Church of England, to other Christians, and to people of, of any faith and every faith. She was very inclusive. So I think her faith will indeed be a, a core part of the legacy that she has left us. As the head of the Church of England, what role did that mean for the Queen? And how did she actually enact that role through her life and through her reign? Queen Elizabeth chose to engage with that role in a very, uh, you know, participatory 
way. She definitely did not uh, just do it as a figurehead or just as, as an obligation for her, for her role. She embraced it and felt like it was part of the duty to God that she had committed to serve. And so I think she helped the church weather a number of, of social and uh, cultural changes in a way that provided that wonderful stability and a sense of security and calmness that she was so renowned for doing. You know, Dudley, we saw a bit of a tour of church services in the weeks after her death as the king attended them with at least, you know, two being in Scotland and then a number of them and, of course, the funeral. Describe the significance of the church and the services that we saw. Again, another uh, example of faith being at the center of this woman and how she led. I think the services that we witnessed, Maggie, displayed the kind of, of structure and personalization that really reflect the Queen's faith. Certainly, there's a formality, there's the historical and traditional uh, liturgical um, structure that infuses those services. And yet, um, I think everyone participating uh, had a clear sense that they wanted her uniqueness, her strength of character, her humor, all of that to shine through. And so I think they did a, a lovely job of balancing those, those two elements. Share some of the examples of how she showed her devotion to her faith over the 70 years of her reign. I know you mentioned many of them in your book. There are uh, many, many uh, examples, Maggie. One of my favorite is just her patronage of uh, Scripture Union, um, this international organization that I think originally served the United Kingdom, but then expanded throughout the world to provide uh, inspirational materials, Bibles, other curriculum and so forth for children and for young people. And she, I think, had a, had a soft spot for that organization among the 600 plus organizations that she served. Um, she made it a point to go to this little tiny church in uh, East London for the 150th anniversary celebration of Scripture Union. And uh, for um, her 90th birthday, she agreed to participate in a special kind of, of book or booklet, um, you know, Her Majesty the Queen and the King She Serves. And she wrote the foreword for that. Mm -hmm. And you know, they, they sent out hundreds of thousands of copies. Um, and that's just one example of, of the way that she tried to use the platform that she had as the monarch and as one of the most uh, recognizable women in the world to, to serve and to make a positive difference for those around her. Dudley, we have 30 seconds left, but I want you to explain really quickly, Defender of the Faith. That was one of the many titles that uh, the queen carried, that the monarch carries. What is the significance behind that title, Defender of the Faith? Well, she inherited that title as part of the sovereign's role. Um, when Henry VIII broke with the Catholic Church in order to marry whom he wanted to um, in, in consecutive times, um, and, and, and started the Church of England. Um, it was a, a unique situation and 
we don't probably have time to go into the full history of it, but that role had great historic and historical significance. Mm. And, you know, that sense of defending the faith, I think, you know, defending can sound very, uh, you know, visceral or, or violent even, but the queen's way was through that resolve and through that, that calmness and that poise and that inner strength that she used in every aspect of her, of her reign, but certainly as defender of the church. All right, Dudley Delves is the author of the book, Faith of Queen Elizabeth. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dudley. Thank you, Maggie, for having me. We have come together to commit into the hands of God the soul of his servant, Queen Elizabeth. Here in St. George's Chapel, where she so often worshiped, we are bound to call to mind someone whose uncomplicated yet profound Christian faith bore so much fruit. Fruit in a life of unstinting service to the nation, the Commonwealth, and the wider world. The Honourable David Onley served as Lieutenant Governor of Ontario for seven years, a role that holds a lot of significance as a representative of the Queen. Mr. Onley, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Maggie. Tell me how you're feeling today. It's been, you know, a week and a half since the funeral. It's been a number of weeks since the Queen's passing. Yes. Um, I think it just depends on what... Uh, what, you know, what you're thinking about, it's still hard to process that uh, this major figure in our lives is really gone. Uh, but then you see, you know, Prince Charles, now King Charles III, um, there, you see, I just stumbled on that saying Prince Charles. I mean, it's embedded in our, our thought, uh, thought banks, but it, it's still quite something to see Charles as king um, processing it one or another event. She's been on the throne for, for so long. Yeah, we all are yes. grappling with this change. What was it like meeting the Queen? Well, it was a, definitely a pinch me moment. You just couldn't believe in a, st a strict sense what was actually happening. Um, I'm sure virtually everyone had that experience in meeting the Queen, which is why uh, her capacity to put people immediately at ease uh, was quite impressive. It certainly was impressive for uh, Ruth, my wife, and I when we met her for the first time at Buckingham Palace, as she was just so welcoming and uh, friendly, uh, frankly. And uh, we were probably only the 10th or 12th person that she had met that day. But uh, when we went into the meeting room, um, she, you know, in, well, we introduced ourselves. She certainly knew who we were. Um, but then she, after a few pleasantries, uh, took the arm of the chair that Ruth was going to sit on and just pulled it a little bit closer to hers and then fluffed the pillow. Mm. So that was just such a, a, a natural welcoming thing to do that uh, you might do for any guest coming into your home. But it just immediately put, her, put us at ease. The honour of representing her in such a formal role, David. Tell yes. me about just the magnitude of that and what that was like over seven years representing well, the Queen. Well, you got to end almost every single address or speech that you gave, whether it was formal or somewhat informal, 
and use the same phrase, and as Her Majesty's personal representative in the province of Ontario, and then you would finish it off. It still amazes me. It still kind of takes my breath away because at that point, constitutionally, I was representing Her Majesty, her personal representative in the province of Ontario. And so few people get a chance to say that. And it, you know, it was just was quite and still is quite an amazing sentence. And, and I, I, we don't have to kind of time to go into the details, but there's constitutional realities about that exact phrase. And so it's embedded into our constitution. It's not just a boasting comment. As a man of faith, how did you see the queen's faith lived out as she reigned? Um, I, that's a really great question. I, I think it really comes down to the fact that in literally every single Christmas address that Her Majesty gave, she made a real comment about the Christian faith, touched on her faith, and not only alluded to some aspect of Christianity, but would refer to the birth of Christ and would talk about some aspect of the Christian faith. And she did that every year, for year after year and decade after decade, um, as the monarch. And while you know the, uh, I guess the emphasis on the Queen's Christmas message, the time has shifted because people can shift their recording times now. But I, I certainly remember as a boy uh, growing up that when the Christmas message was coming on on Christmas Day, everything stopped. To be able to listen to the message because there were no recording devices. What will her legacy be? Um, you know, I think the already they're referring to it as the second Elizabethan age. And of course, the first was Queen Elizabeth I centuries ago. I, I think as time goes on, we really will see it as having, having been the second Elizabethan age. So much happened in that time frame, uh, going from the immediate post-war world to the world that we live in right now in the 21st century. And I, I think she will be seen as this great stabilizing force, uh, certainly within the Commonwealth. And on that very point, that she helped lead the transition from the British Empire to the British Commonwealth and do so peacefully. That's quite an amazing accomplishment. And it's not something that gets, there's not enough attention paid to that because typically when empires dissolve, there's major violence that occurs and maybe major fractures in the political and social process. And you know, she did that over a, a seven decade time frame in, in really a relative, no, not relative amount of peace in essentially a peaceful transition. And it's still something that's a little bit head shaking because there's nowhere else in the world in that time frame that you can talk about empires collapsing and being transitioned to a more peaceful world. So uh, a woman of enormous accomplishments and uh, the longer she's gone, the more people will be writing about her. And I think once the historians get into private papers, uh, we're going to, those of us who lived through her reign uh, are going to think higher and higher about her. 
All right, former Lieutenant Governor of Ontario, the Honourable David Onley, thank you for your time today, sir. Thank you, Maggie. Coming up, Context celebrates a significant milestone and we have a special guest to commemorate this achievement. That's later. The Q panel is back for another season and there is a new face joining the panel. Renee James is the Communications Director for Canadian Baptist Women of Ontario and Quebec. She's a freelance writer and editor of Live Magazine. Welcome, Renee. Thank you, Maggie. It's great to be here. And welcome back to Brian Dykema and Moira McQueen as well. Well, today we're talking about the Queen's legacy. Brian, what will be the Queen's legacy for you? Her biggest legacy is the way that she embodied um, what I would hope we should expect from all of our political leaders is that despite being at the sort of pinnacle of glory and the pinnacle of power and authority, um, she was a servant. I think um, most people, whether they're Republicans or whether they're the staunchest monarchists realize that the Queen um, was somewhat devoid of ego and in a very, very good way. She was constantly talking about um, the people she was serving. And that started when she was very young. It started when she ascended to the throne. And the fact that she was able to maintain that for 70 years uh, throughout all kinds of turmoil and social and historical change was to me her legacy. The fact that um, despite her power, despite her glory, she was always first and foremost a servant. And I think that's something to be admired. Moira, how about you? I think her sense of duty really showed. I'm not a monarchist, but I have to say that she really embodies an awful lot of the virtues that people would hope for in political and other leaders. And I do think that she portrayed how to lead in a prayerful way too, because I think she obviously took her Church of England affiliation very, very seriously. And I think that was a very important factor in some areas that had to do with religious freedom, as well as just showing how constitutional monarchy can work. I think it's important that a country has perhaps a bigger head as the Queen was. She was more than a bigger head. She was obviously beloved by many, many people. But technically, she's a bigger head, a symbol of leadership in a country that really transcends all the political shenanigans that have gone on. So I think that legacy uh, is very, very important to maintain that steadiness, that sort of transcending of political boundaries, transcending of differences, and somehow solidifying them into one nation in terms of at least uh, Great Britain. Mm. Some have criticized the Queen for not addressing the history and pain of colonialism while she was alive. Can this be ignored? Renee, what are your thoughts? Um, I'm not sure that we can ignore it. I mean, what she didn't say, I think, is as important as what she did say uh, during her reign. Um, I'm a granddaughter of the Commonwealth. I come from Trinidad. So um, talk about colonialism, about an orientation to the race and class gaze overseas. Um, that That I have certainly inherited, I think, I think it's an important conversation that many uh, are having around the world. Um, if you just read media from India, from Jamaica, I mean, it's no mistake that, you know, the Prime Minister of Antigua and Barbuda says in two years, you know, we are going to have a referendum on 
uh, whether we are part of the Commonwealth or not, do we want this, do we want King Charles as head? I mean, you cannot ignore what the monarchy represented um, and indeed perhaps by their silence or not were complicit um, through generations of, you know, imperialism, of colonialism across a huge swath of the world, um, quite frankly. I will say though that I, I'm, I'm not sure that um, <clears throat> it's an entirely appropriate conversation to have with a constitutional monarch. I, th I think it goes to the government um, of the UK. I mean, I think it's no mistake that Charles, of course, when he was in Barbados recently, um, made a personal apology for the appalling atrocities of slavery. But the word personal is an extremely important word in his statement. Um, there would have been massive ramifications had he not made that a personal reckoning that he's going through. Um, so I think there are layers upon layers here to unpack. Um, and it isn't a conversation that can be ignored, certainly because media around the world isn't. Um, and I think that's part of her legacy yeah. um, as well. Ryan, I see you nodding your head. You know, we saw Barbados remove the monarch as their head of state. There have been talks of other Caribbean countries as well as even Scotland doing the same. Will that continue under King Charles III? I think it's important to realize the sort of constitutional limits that the monarch placed. I think Renee was getting at that when, frankly, the, the crown is not actually allowed to say things like that. Um, the crown is always supposed to take the advice of, in this case, his now, now that it's Charles, his ministers. And so mm -hmm. it actually would be inappropriate for the crown to apologize uh, for, the, for the, either Charles or for Queen Elizabeth to speak in themselves in that office. And I think that that's, that's the big challenge that they're facing. Renee is absolutely correct. When it comes to questions of um, governance, whether it's in Barbados or whether it's in uh, any other country uh, that's part of the Commonwealth that still has the crown as its head of state, that decision is with the parliaments and the actual people of those countries. And in every case where it's happened, Barbados and in other places, Jamaica is also talking about it, um, the crown uh, will simply have to say yes. Uh, and it's one of those cases where uh, they would have to act on the advice of their ministers. And if the ministers chose that, and if the people choose that, and that's the new direction they want to go, they'll have to say yes. And so in some ways, um, they just simply cannot. They're restrained from both speaking for something or against something just because of the nature of their office. Yeah. Okay, Moira, we just have a, a few seconds left. What will King Charles need to do to make the monarchy relevant to the next generation? I think he has to do something very personal because I'm in agreement that it's in fact a constitutional monarchy and in fact they don't really lead, they follow when it comes to politics. But I think this, the Queen endeared herself to people just through her example. Charles has led a very different life, very different stories about him. I'm not too sure that he's particularly popular in many places. So if he wants to succeed even as a constitutional monarch, I think he's going to have to show the sort of selflessness that his mother did, but somehow be able to reach out to people and have what I would call a more common touch. Okay. I hope he manages it. All right, we're going to have to leave it there. Renee, Brian, and Moira, thank you for your time today. Well, we want to end the show on a bit of a different note than usual. Today, Context is celebrating its 800th 
100th show, bringing a Christian perspective to news for the past 24 seasons. In 2001, I first reported for this show, which was called Listen Up back then, as an intern covering the aftermath of the 9-11 attacks. The documentary was called God at Ground Zero, and it essentially launched my journalism career, a prime example of how Context has been finding God's stories in the news. Well, founder of the show, Lorna Duick, joins me now. Congratulations, Lorna. 800 shows. Your vision is still living on. Oh, thank you for doing such a beautiful job with it, Maggie. It's wonderful to see you soar with it. Take us back to why you felt the need to start Listen Up. Well, the show began really on training wheels at 100 Huntley Street with the founder of Crossroads Christian Communications, Reverend David Maines. And he at that time was a daily live show and he expected his co-host to have something interesting to say about news and current events. And uh, I just had so much to say about it. David started to say, okay, let's put this in a segment, let's do it here. And then eventually it became a segment within 100 Huntley Street. And after five years of being on training wheels, yeah. it was launched into its own, its own program. Something brand new for 100 Huntley Street, once a week, it's called Listen Up and Here's Lorna Duick. Why is it important, Lorna, for Christians to be able to speak into news, current affairs, what's happening in the world? I love the image in Proverbs 2, verse um, 1, where it says, pardon me, 2, 2 verse 11, where it says, wisdom cries out in the street, and God is personifying wisdom and saying, I'm crying out in the street, I'm at the top of the gate, I'm asking to show you the way. Yeah. And so I always felt that going journalistically after stories was an opportunity to go journalistically after God's wisdom, and you hear it. You know, whether it was at James Bay Cree Nation stabbing crisis earlier this year, you, you heard in the sound bites of the analysis and of the families and the community that spoke, you can hear where God's heartbeat is for people. And that's the beauty of being a Christian journalist, is going in and saying, I'm gonna look and listen for God's wisdom and put it together. And I, that was always a priority. It's hard to believe it's come to 800 shows. Yeah. Listening is so important in our job. Out of all of the different stories that you've told over the years, which ones stand out to you the most? The stories of human resilience. Mm. Like absolute uh, amazing to see how strong the spirit is. I, I remember covering uh, the huge fire in Barrier, BC, a, an area twice the size of uh, Toronto burnt down 2003, and a little eight-year-old boy, Lane Barcy, saying to me, I prayed for God that my house wouldn't burn down, but it did. And then asking Lane, what do you think about God now? And he would, and he, and he just said, I think God's gonna help me get stronger. And like from an eight-year-old child all the way to an elderly person again and again, as you covered uh, places where the human spirit had to interact with something terrible, it's resilience, it's amazing resilience. Last question, why do you think context is still needed on, on the airwaves? Because the mission of God is to reach out for people. And here is one journalistic island, you know, sitting in a beautiful, caring charity called Crossroads Christian Communications. And it has the ability to join with God's wisdom and listen in the street, to look for God's wisdom in the street. 
So I hope, I hope you have a great new season ahead and all the best. And thank you for doing such a beautiful job with oh, it, Maggie. I know it takes you, a team, Laura. but it's, it does take it's, a team. Thank you. And thank you for casting that vision so many years ago and we're living in it. Thank you. It's been an absolute delight and honor. And thank you for watching all these years. We know that we could not make this show possible without viewers and supporters like you. Let us know what you think of today's show. Join the conversation on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. For all of us here, I'm Maggie John. See you next time. Thank you for your ongoing support of Crossroads, a supporter-funded nonprofit organization and member of the Canadian Centre for Christian Charities. Thanks to faithful people like you, we are able to continue producing context. You can write to Crossroads, PO Box 5100, Burlington, Ontario, L7R 4M2, or visit crossroads.ca to learn more about our programs. Context Beyond the Headlines invites you to an exciting new season. This year, we're expanding our reach with a brand new podcast that will explore the interaction between faith, justice, culture, ethics, and society. As we move forward with this brand new season and the launch of this brand new podcast, would you consider partnering with Context financially? It is because of the generosity of viewers like you that we're able to continue to tell the stories that matter.